0: Acts chapter 8, begin reading at verse 26. We'll read through 31 and then we'll skip down to verse 35. Let's read together. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Open our hearts now, Lord, that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us. I lift up other life-giving churches and pray blessing upon them, and I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I particularly pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask you to draw them to a place of repentance that not one of them is lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for your presence as we've worshipped you today. Thank you for all that you are doing in and through this congregation. I bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you have a friend or a coworker or maybe a neighbor or even a family member who is not a follower of Jesus? How many of you would like that loved one to become a follower of Jesus? Okay. How many of you are willing for the Lord to use you to help win someone to Jesus? One of the things I've observed about the early church is that the bulk of the evangelism wasn't done by professional clergy. It was done by ordinary people whose lives had been transformed as they put their faith in Jesus. And they, in turn, couldn't keep the good news to themselves. Their faith and their relationship with Jesus was so important to them, they simply had to share it with those around them. It wasn't their superior intellect that attracted people to Jesus. It wasn't the persuasiveness of their arguments that won people to Jesus. It wasn't the promise of fame or fortune that caused people to surrender to Jesus. Acts 4.13 gives a clue about what made their witness so compelling. It records, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. Let that sink in for a moment. Uneducated and untrained. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. There was something so different about their attitude and their behavior and their speech and their general disposition. It was their relationship with Jesus that made all the difference. The difference Jesus made in their lives caused people around them to sit up and take notice of them and ultimately convince them that serving Jesus was the better way. As these early followers submitted themselves to serving Jesus, he began to open doors of opportunity for them to make an impact on their world. And the story that forms the text for the message today tells about one such incident and the way this early disciple shared his faith in that ancient world provides a template for how to effectively share your faith in today's world. Chapter 8 of the book of Acts opens. A man named Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, is persecuting the newly formed Christian church. As a result of that persecution, the church began to scatter, and a church deacon named Philip leaves Jerusalem, goes to the city of Samaria, where he proclaims the gospel. A great revival breaks out. Miracles are performed. People are healed and delivered. Many people come to faith in Jesus. As a result, the Bible says there's much rejoicing in the city. When word reaches the apostles in Jerusalem about the revival taking place, they send Peter and John to Samaria. When those guys arrive, they begin laying hands on people in prayer, and many are filled with the Holy Spirit. At the end of the revival, a rather curious thing happens that we see. Peter and John return to Jerusalem, and you would think Philip would stay in Samaria, start a church, and become a successful pastor. I mean, he's got this whole group right there now, you know. Instead, verse 26 tells us, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then parenthetically, it says, this is a desert road. Now, think about that. Here, Philip is in the midst of a tremendously powerful revival. People are being healed. People are being delivered from demons. People are being saved. Simon the sorcerer has been put in his place. The whole city is rejoicing. Philip is a very popular person. He's the man of the hour in that city. But right at the peak of all the wonderful things that are happening, an angel of the Lord tells Philip to leave this thriving, successful ministry and go to the desert. Now, if I were Philip, I'm not saying I wouldn't have gone. I'm just saying everybody would know I had gone, and you would have been able to tell the direction I went by the deep ruts left by my heels as the Lord dragged me away. (laughs) So here's Philip in the desert, wondering why God brought him here. I mean, of all places, why here? About that time, he hears a noise, looks up, and sees a large retinue of people coming his way. The central person in that party of people, is obviously of some importance by the size of the company surrounding him and by the appearance of the chariot in which he rides. Philip later discovers he is the secretary of the treasury from the Ethiopian court of Queen Candace. As he rides, he is reading aloud, as was the custom in those days, he's reading from a portion of the Isaiah scroll. Philip moves to the side of the road about to let them pass when the Holy Spirit tells him to introduce himself and initiate a conversation with this man. Philip obeys and what transpires becomes a model for us as we fulfill the great commission to be a witness for our faith. If you're going to be an effective witness in this modern world, the first thing I see from this story is you're going to have to sense the Spirit's prompting. When the angel of the Lord told Philip to go to the desert road, Notice, Philip didn't argue. There was no complaint. He didn't question, even though the instructions seemed odd. He didn't whine about how hot it is in the desert and about how far removed from creature comforts it is. He didn't say, there's not a Walmart within 40 miles, (laughs) you know? His only response was obedience. Once he's in the desert, wondering why he's there of all places, and the Lord spoke again and told him to join himself to the chariot, again, we only see obedience, Philip had a close relationship with the Lord and had positioned himself to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit. He had already determined, since he was surrendered to the Lord, his only response to the Spirit's prompting would be obedience. It was through his obedience that the Lord opened the door to an effective witness. Here's what I've discovered. If I will simply be available, God will bring people across my path who are responsive to my message. If I will listen, the Holy Spirit will speak to me. See, he's talking a whole lot more than we're hearing. You just think about that for a moment. It's, it's not that he isn't speaking, it's that we're not listening. If I will be obedient, God can and will use me. Obedience to the Great Commission and to the prompting of the Spirit is the key that unlocks the release of the Spirit into our lives and transforms us into being witnesses with Spirit-led boldness. Making a difference in the lives of people in your circle begins with being sensitive to the Spirit's prompting and making a decision that you're going to be obedient. When God speaks, you listen and you obey. And watch this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You know, when my children were young and I would give them an instruction about going to clean their room, the last thing I wanted from them at that moment was them to start praising me and telling me what a wonderful father I was. (laughs) I didn't want them to go perform any of of their other chores. I didn't want them to question me about why a clean room was such a big deal. When I gave them an instruction to clean their room, the only thing I wanted to hear was, yes, sir. And the next sound I wanted to hear was the sound of their little feet hastening to their room to begin begin performing the task I had assigned. That's exactly when the Lord speaks to you, he doesn't want you to start praising him. Oh God, what a wonderful father. No, he just wants you to get about doing what he told you to do. Here's the deal. There are people all around you right now who need Jesus, people over whom you have an influence. And if you'll listen, God will speak to you. He'll tell you when the time is right. He'll tell you the approach to take. But you're going to have to resist your fears and obey the leading of the Lord. Not only do you have to sense the Spirit's prompting, but then if you're going to be an effective witness, you need to seize the opportunity. Most of the time when we think of personal soul winning and being an effective witness, we think of speaking to people who are much like us. Some of the most effective witnessing is indeed done in that context. However, just because somebody is different than you doesn't mean you can't get a hearing from them and maybe even a response. There are going to be some people with whom you are much more comfortable talking than others. Of course there are. But don't ever discount the work of the Holy Spirit in putting seemingly unlikely people together. The key question has nothing to do with you having the same educational background. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're in the same economic category. It it isn't about having the same skin color, the same speech accent, or the same cultural history. The real question is whether they feel you love and respect them. It has to do with being humble and sensitive to their needs. The difference between Philip and this Ethiopian are striking. This Ethiopian was a eunuch. That That not only said something about his physical condition, it also meant, according to the law of Moses, he would be. He would be prohibited from full participation in worship at the Jerusalem temple. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile convert, a proselyte known as a God-fearer. He was a high-ranking official in the the palace of Queen Candace, a man of means and substance. He was far different from simple Peter or Philip. Even with these differences of ethnicity, religious background, and economic and social standing, there was a God-connection. And this was possible because of the way Philip approached him in humility and meekness, yet with confidence and assurance because he was sensitive and obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. See, somewhere along the line, we have to realize it isn't nearly so much about us as it is about the story we have to proclaim. It's about the Savior who has come to redeem and restore lost humanity. It's the story about how broken people can be made whole again. It's a message of love and grace, recognizing everyone needs God's mercy in order to be acceptable to him. We dare not be arrogant. We dare not be condescending. It isn't about us. It's all about him. So you seize, or you sense the Spirit's prompting. You seize the opportunity. Then if you're going to be an effective witness, you have to start with their need. If the Holy Spirit directs you to someone and you respond in obedience to his prompting, you can be certain he has already prepared the heart of that person in advance to receive you. But even then, I've discovered too often we are guilty of answering questions nobody is asking. Chances are very good that the burning question on the mind of your unsaved friend is not the identity of the antichrist or the meaning of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. She just wants to know where to find help for her pregnant, unmarried daughter. He's looking for a way to manage the stress on his job a little better or how to escape the pain he's in from a broken relationship. When Philip joined himself to that chariot, the first thing he did was ask a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Then he gave the eunuch an opportunity to ask something. From that point, Philip used the Ethiopian's own interest to build a bridge to the message of the gospel and the eunuch's need for a savior. If you're going to reach people in your circle of influence with the message of Jesus, you're going to have to address the things that interest them. If you walk into a man's house and there are deer heads on the wall and pictures of him holding a large mouth bass and you don't know what to talk about, there is a serious disconnect. <laughs> it has become a cliche, but it still rings true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this only happens in the context of relationship, doing life together. Here's what I know very few people surrender their life to Jesus the first time they hear the gospel. It usually happens over time. That's one of the reasons why Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's a process, it happens as they see the truth of the message lived out before them in an authentic way by someone who genuinely cares. As you get interested in the things that interest them, and as you demonstrate your care for them, their hearts are going to be open to hearing your message. Y'all doing okay? I'm trying, I'm trying my best to hurry. All right. keep in track. Sense the Spirit's prompting. Seize the opportunity. Start with their need. Here's the last one. I told you I'd give you the abridged version. All right, here we go. Speak the message of Jesus and make that your main point. There are a number of occasions in the book of Acts that a sermon or a testimony is recorded. Without fail, in each instance, you find the disciple speaking, and as quickly as possible, he gets to the theme of Jesus. Oh, he may start out talking about Abraham or Moses, something to capture the attention and build a bridge with his audience. But as soon as he possibly can, he's talking about Jesus. No matter where he takes his text, no matter where he begins the story, before he ever gets to the end, he's taken his hearer to the cross and the empty tomb. The Ethiopian was reading from the Old Testament writings of Isaiah. But verse 35 says, then Philip opened opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. We must never forget the only hope for the people of this world isn't found in church affiliation, as much as I believe in the church and in what we did this morning in receiving members. The only hope for the people in your circle isn't found in your helpful advice. It isn't found in the connections you can make. Neither is it found in your well-structured presentations. The only real hope for lost people is found in a man named Jesus. Talk about common interests. Develop a relationship around hobbies or work or family, but never lose sight of the spiritual dimension. Always point to Jesus as the source of hope. Your friends may not even know enough to ask the questions, but the greatest need they have is the one expressed by a group of Greek men who came to one of the disciples in the Gospel of John and said, "'Sir, we want to see Jesus.'" I'm telling you, no matter what other good you may do, if you have failed to offer Jesus, you have failed to give anything worth having. This is why we need to function under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we must be filled with the Spirit if we are going to be a relevant church in a modern world, because it is the Holy Spirit's primary job to reveal Jesus, and it is Jesus who is the hope of this world. See, I want to tell you, our primary purpose as Pentecostal believers is not to sustain a movement. Our purpose is not to prop up a denomination. Our purpose isn't to tinker with trivialities, but it is our purpose as people filled with the Holy Spirit to know Jesus and to make him known. I'm talking about Jesus who is the Christ. Savior, Redeemer, lover of all humanity, one who brings no condemnation to those who find themselves in him. I want to declare in your hearing today, without without reservation, Jesus Christ is Lord on his brow flashes the crown of world creation in his hand sways the scepter of universal authority his majesty fills heaven with glory his love fills earth with blessing his wrath fills hell with terror I want you to know him today and I want you to make him known he is the, invis- he is the image of the invisible God he is the replica of divine reality he is the altogether lovely he ref- reflects the light of life. He reveals the love of God. He releases the gift of grace. That's my Jesus today. He is plain, yet he is profound. He is simple, yet he is sublime. I tell you, he's time's masterpiece. He is eternity's glory. He is holier than the holy of holies. He is higher than the heaven of heavens. He's a mountain without a valley. He's a morning without a cloud. He's a day without a night. He's a rose without a thorn. He is health without sickness. He is truth without any error. He is life without death he is the way without detour he is the beauty of God's holiness he is the repository of God's blessing he is the ocean of God's fullness he's the cleansing of God's redemption he's the reality of God's presence he's the pity of God's heart he's the power of God's hand and he's the majesty of God's throne and in him we live in him we move in him we have our being wherefore God also has highly exalted Him And given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Give him praise and honor in this house today. The purpose of every follower of Jesus is to get people to Jesus. The goal of personal soul winning is to get lost people to Jesus. The greatest need of everyone in this world and your greatest need is the need for Jesus. I wonder today, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Are you in relationship with him? Are you saved? Are you part of God's forever family? By trusting in Jesus as your only hope of salvation? Before you leave this service today, you can know your sins are forgiven. You can absolutely know that. Before you leave this service, you can know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Is there anybody who doesn't know Jesus and you'd like to know him? Is there anybody who knows Jesus, but you would say, Pastor John, I know Jesus, but I want to know him more. I want to know him better. I want to pray with you before we leave. I want you to know Jesus. And I want you to know him better than you've ever known him. As Philip unfolded the scriptures to the Ethiopian, he explained to him that Jesus was the one being talked about in Isaiah. Jesus was the one led as a sheep, offering his life for the sins of the world. Jesus was the one who loved him enough to suffer and die in his place. I want you to know today that it wasn't just for the Ethiopian, but it was for you. And if you'll respond the same way the Ethiopian did in our story, you'll be able to have the same experience he had. You'll be able to go on your way rejoicing, knowing your sins are forever gone. Stand with me, please.